0: Hi there, and welcome to the Halftime Orange podcast with me, Brenton Weber. Um, This is our first podcast, and it was recorded just before, about two days before, New Zealand announced its second cluster of COVID. Um, We've been busy working on our health and safety for customers and employees and getting that out to New Zealand companies to help with the fight, Um, but we are now ready to release the podcast And here it is, with no further ado, the very wonderful Clem Newton-Brown. Welcome to the first edition of the Halftime Orange podcast. I'm Brenton Webber, and today I will be speaking to the very fascinating and interesting Clem Newton-Brown from Skyports we are going to be covering all sorts of topics today but very much focusing on urban aerial mobility basically personal drones that will fly us from a to b Um, we're going to be talking about uber air and their potential ride sharing solutions um, for this exciting new form of personal and public transport and we're going to be covering a few political areas um, as we discuss what COVID response has meant to both myself here in New Zealand and Tasmania, where Clem has some tourism interests, and and to Victoria, where of course they're currently really suffering from this, uh, this awful second wave. So I hope you enjoy the show and I'll talk to you at the end of it. Clem, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Hi, Brett. Maybe we can start with you introducing yourself to the listeners.
1: Yeah, sure. Look, um, I mean, the reason you've got me on is because of uh, a a business that I've been working on for the last couple of years, which is Skyports, which is all about... um, the uh, creating the uh, environment for air taxis to uh, to flourish uh, around the world starting with Melbourne. Um, but just by way of background my, my background is I used to be a, a property lawyer and uh, a barrister doing uh, appeals in the tribunal in Melbourne for um, for planning matters. And then I had a stint as uh, a councillor and deputy Lord Mayor of Melbourne and then uh, a stint in state politics uh, in uh, the last Liberal government in Victoria. Um, and uh, since then I've been, uh, since 2014, I've been working as a, as a planning consultant, basically helping people with, uh, who've got ideas that uh, they, they want to see come to fruition and, uh, and working on a few of my own projects at the same time as well.
0: Very cool. Um, I'm going to go straight to what I'm... Just got so fascinated with as soon as we started talking last week, and that is urban aerial mobility and ever since then all i 've been thinking about is the future of the Jetsons that I love so much as a kid almost upon us
1: yeah, well, the idea has been around for a long time. I think it was Henry Ford who said it uh, back in the you know, early part of the last century that uh, you know you, you may well smile but uh, uh, there'll be uh, we'll have flying cars before long, and uh, uh, we're we're almost there. I mean, there already already are um, uh, EV tolls, electric vertical takeoff landing aircraft, which are um, which are up and flying. If you look on YouTube, you can see the various uh, prototypes that are out there, and some of them are uh, very very basic le- uh, level, others are, are, are very advanced and very close to being certified. Um, there's probably 300 different uh, startups around the world uh, who are. Developing aircraft, um, and we're at the stage now. We're we're very close. That, uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll get commercial certification, and once that happens, then uh, the ones which are piloted. And remember, most of these are being built to be autonomously flying. But uh, that'll take some time to get through the system. But the ones that are piloted will be able to operate as helicopters operate now. So I, I see this as being something that can happen very quickly. And uh, and my business Skyports is about providing the infrastructure beyond the airports and the helipads to uh, to enable the uh, the whole ecosystem to flourish and what is the what is the biggest thing that needs to happen
0: the the, the, the biggest change or the biggest development for this to become a, uh, a viable for people like you and I to be getting their lift to work in the morning. Um, I'm thinking I live in West Auckland. It would be lovely to get an autonomous air taxi to pick me up and drop me off at the Queen Street office. How how soon is that and what needs to happen before that can be a, be a reality?
1: Yeah, we're, 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 the steps are um, – there's quite a few steps there. We're, we're close, but we're not – not uh, not quite there yet, and um, I'll talk about Uber Air and them choosing that a bit later on. But in terms of what what's required, um, first of all, you need aircraft which can not only fly safely but can uh, are certified to fly, so they've got their commercial certification to take paying passengers, and that's a pretty big jump. Uh, you know, you can probably anybody with some skills uh, can uh, probably build a a massive drone that will carry the weight of a person. Uh, but that's a very small step towards building the same drone that can be operated as a as a fleet of commercial aircraft. Um, so there's that's a really big step. But look, there's uh, the likes of Boeing, Bell, and Airbus, are the three big aviation companies, and that's been joined by um, people like Larry Page, um, uh, uh, big air, big uh, automotive industry people like Hyundai and Toyota. Uh, so there's, there's literally billions of dollars going into this. And um, so I've got no, no doubt that the aircraft will be certified commercial before long. I would expect within the next year or so we'll see the first one, which is likely to be the um, uh, one called the Joby in uh, the United States. Uh, and once we've got that operating, then there's no reason why they can't operate from the helipad to, to helipad to helipad or airport to um, private property. Um, in terms of running an aerial service, that involves having destinations and that's, that's going to be the unknown and that's what I'm working on and it's probably a little bit ahead of my time in that we don't even have the aircraft flying yet, so we, we don't even have a design or a, or a concept that we can show the authorities to say this is what it's going to look like, this is what it will sound like. Um, I'm banking on... The aircraft being significantly smaller and lighter and quieter than helicopters, and as a result, being able to be approved in areas where helicopters might be seen as too intrusive. So that's what that's what the whole thing is going to rely on is whether what I call a community license. and Does the community want this? If the community doesn't want it, they'll tell the politicians soon enough. So we need to be in a situation where the uh, the community is saying, "We've seen these things, things flying from heli helipads and airports." Why can't I pick one up from uh, my suburb? And uh, we want to have a Skyport in our in our suburb as well. Um, And when that happens, that's when uh, I think the uh, that's when it will will explode. But it's uh, a lot of hard yards uh, in the meantime to uh, to get to that point.
0: What are the challenges you're facing at the moment? Are you are you in the process of helping garner that community license, which is so important with these large long term infrastructures?
1: yeah look um uh, part of what i in australia i'm probably the only person who's you know really uh looking at the infrastructure side of things we we've, sadly we don't have a a um an industry around uh constructing and and, and testing of uh, uh you know groundbreaking drones and e v tolls we've got one operator called amSL in um new south Wales and he's been given money from the military to devise a autonomous vehicle to get wounded soldiers off battlefields and, and supplies into battlefields um, and he's certainly got a, an aircraft which will which will do the job fly fast and fly long ranges and fly autonomously um, but, uh, but most of it is most of it is overseas investment so there's, there's not a lot happening locally so so what what i'm doing i suppose is, is gathering together the people who have the property side of things uh that, that that's needed gathering that interest together and um uh, you know the property people are pretty canny they can sniff that there could be a profit here somewhere nobody knows quite where yet. Um, but uh, uh, so advising them as to you know if they're building a new building what do you need to do to future proof this building uh, you won't be able to land land one of these things on your rooftop now but you know, in 10 years time you might so your building's going to be there for 100 years so let's let's think about that now um, so that's, I'm sort of doing, doing that side of things. And I'm also working with the government here in Victoria in um, uh, trying to advance uh, policy um, and working with the various agencies and, and uh, trying to lo- lobby for, for changes that are going to be required if, we, if we're going to allow these things in more locations than helipads. Um, I would imagine that
0: safety and perception of safety is an incredibly important aspect. I mean, it is in all customer experience at the moment in our some in our COVID-19 world um, where safety in everywhere, everywhere we go, shops and um, establishments, it's all about, we don't want to be, we want to know that we're safe from the the, the awful virus. Um, With safety, with air travel and
1: autonomous air travel, that must be a a big focus. Oh, absolutely. Look, everybody who's working on this knows that they need to make these aircraft safer than driving, safer than flying, other planes, safer than helicopters, um, and and that's the real danger for the industry. Is if, if somebody goes out too soon and and people start dying, um, that's going to kill it on its tracks. So um, everybody's building their aircraft to be such that they are they are significantly safer than than other forms of transport, and. Um, And we're going to have to see that that's actually followed through when it comes to to actually flying them. So there's a lot of a lot of them are now doing um, freight versions. So if they lose a a, a, you know a bunch of freight that lands in uh, in a paddock or in the sea, it doesn't matter. Um, And and I think that's probably quite a prudent way to do it to test the aircraft using freight rather than people initially. Um, There's a very advanced systems. Look, we've got you know incredible. Um, capacity now from a technological point of view to make these aircraft safe I mean you know we we put uh, um, we, uh, we put uh, a, man, a couple of men on the moon back in the you know uh, 50 years ago and that was with the you know, power of the iPhone um, so uh, it's it, yeah, it, it is possible you know we fly millions of people around the world that we used to <laughs> we could um, uh, generally safe, safely but there are, is always an element of risk I mean we get on planes and we know that planes do crash sometimes. Um, You get in a car and you know that, you know, you could be one of the, in my case in Victoria, 300 plus people a year die from car accidents. And, you you, you know, you're taking a chance every time you get in the car that you're going to be one of those. So, um, you don't like to think of the risk, but the risk is there with all forms of transport, um, but I think everybody recognises that it has to be super, super safe um, uh, to try a new form of transport. And, um, look, I think, uh, you know, if you're looking at autonomous vehicles, and that's been around for some time and people are sort of um, uh, accepting that, you know, perhaps taking the human error out can can make cars safer Um, and there's been a few glitches there with uh, when cars not behaving as they should have and I think there's been uh, there have been fatalities with autonomous vehicles Um, but look I I think that as far as autonomy goes it's a whole lot easier to achieve in the sky where you've got uh, very few obstacles uh, and you've got a system whereby you can you can have the obstacles talking to each other Uh, when you've got an autonomous vehicle in the on a road yeah, they, they've got to They've got to know without any sig- electronic signal that the kid running out in front of them uh, is in is, is danger of being killed, or that traffic that sign can't be run into. Whereas in the sky, if you've got a, a flight, a system of flight whereby all aircraft uh, are talking to each other, uh, I think it can be can be a very very safe mode of transport. Mm. Yeah, it's with AI,
0: AI is going to make that that job relatively easy. Certainly, a lot easier than. Plugging into a manual flight air control system.
1: Yeah, and look, and look, most of the um, accidents that happen, particularly in helicopters, because the helicopters are very difficult to fly. I've, I've, I've flown some simulators at conferences and things, and uh, you, know, you, you crash within a few seconds. <laughs> it's it's. Uh, it's, uh, it's there's you know, three different controls you've got to, you've gotta do it once and um yeah I'm sure once you get the hang of it it uh, it becomes easier but they are they are quite complex um aircraft to fly from a human error perspective and then you've got the human error also of um uh, aircraft flying conditions that uh when they're pushing the envelope now if you've got an autonomous aircraft that's programmed not to fly when the winds at this speed from this direction, then it won't take off, whereas a, a pilot might say, oh, look, you know, we'll, we'll take a punt, we'll, we'll have a crack. Um, so so I think that that will make it safer as well. Um, the unknown, I think, in these COVID times is, um, uh, is whether, you know, the uh, sharing a, a small capsule with a number of people is going to be attractive um, and, you know, you're probably going to be in a tighter situation than in a, in a car um, uh, with, you know, three or four passengers in one of these. And um, uh, it may be that uh, it could be very popular with, uh, with one person but not so popular with, uh, with more than one person uh, in a rideshare situation. Mm. You mentioned Uber Air before and obviously I and
0: all the listeners, we're very fan now with Uber and the way that they've revolutionised the way that we consumers can reach successful outcomes in uh, what what seems to be more convenient ways. It's also had a big effect on the, indus- on the industry that it's replacing. Where do you see um, Uber Air coming in and, and what industry are they going to replace? Are they going to be able to be as customer-centric as Uber certainly seem to be?
1: Um, you know, Brendan, as far as Uber Air goes, I think the, the biggest thing they can bring to the whole the whole air taxi experience is is the c- customer experience. Um, they don't fly planes, they don't run skyports. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're good at bringing all the people together, but ultimately they want to run their app, and that's what they're that's what they're good at. Um, and you know, the consumer experience is where they can connect, uh, and this is their plan to seamlessly connect. Um, if you want to go from A to B, the app will tell you how to get there. So it will be. Um, you know, you know, air taxi from here to here then swap to an electric bike then swap to a car uh and they then that's that that customer experience is, is important the other thing that's which is important as part of their business model is that um, uh ride sharing is what will bring the price of air taxis down just as ride sharing brings the price of of cars down um, and uh in the um uh The the situation that they started in Australia recently and they've done overseas for a while is the Uber pool option. And so the pool option is where, I don't know if you've got it in New Zealand yet or not, but it's it's where you uh, you can choose to save a few dollars by um, going pool um, and that you have somebody else or or more than one person joining you in the car on that journey. Uh, And... uh, yeah, you've always been able to do this with taxis, but you know, nobody wants to share a taxi, you know, so it's not, it's, it would seen as, it would seen as, a negative on your experience, in a, to have to share your taxi. Uh, whereas what Uber done is it to be something cool and fun. Um, and, and I tried it for the first time and, yeah, you know, I actually did think it was quite a positive experience because uh, it's the interface with the, with their app. You get you you choose pool, you get the car, and somebody some stranger says, "Oh, hey, clam, how are you going?" And and it's like, "Well, how do you know my name?" And you know, they come up on their app, and um, so that breaks the ice and you have a bit of a conversation, and uh, and you leave the car having you know, felt like you've had a bit of a human connection, um, and you know while. Uh, It might be a bit different in in COVID-19 times where you might put your mask on and look the other way, but um, certainly my experience there was, you know, that it was was good. Look, I I tried it. They they started up in Melbourne um, uh, last year and I thought, well, look, I'll try it again. Was it just because I was, you know, an Australian in Washington at a conference all excited about Uber and uh, was I uh, giving it, being unfairly um, uh, easy on them? And uh, and I tried the experience here. Look, I I thought it was quite good as well. You know, it was... um, you know some person who was in the car going to a job interview so we started talking about the job interview and um and it's the same sort of thing you come away with a bit of a human connection um you know it's a you know, no no great investment ongoing in your time with this relationship with this person that you've interacted to and um and the you know, opportunities to have random chats with people is is you know is not always there you know if you're in a yeah, on public transport, you'd be a bit of a freak if you started talking to the person next to you. Um, so I think you know, Uber's, from the customer experience point of view, I think that's really what, uh, what Uber Air brings to the equation. And, and from a financial perspective, for air taxis to be the price to be down, it has to be ride share. Um, it's too expensive to have just one person in an aircraft that will take four. So, they, uh, so the ride sharing model is important. With regards to pricing, because
0: I, I have been talking about this all weekend, and a lot of people are very excited. You know, it is that feeling of the future. What sort of price points are we going to be expecting and who is this going to be benefiting from the word go?
1: Yeah, Look, nobody really knows. Um, uh, I, you know, Uber's saying that it's going to be as cheap as riding in an Uber Black um, uh, and, yeah, you know, so like a premium a premium, you know, Uber car ride. Um I expect that will the price will fluctuate over time. I think initially it will be quite expensive, but not as expensive as helicopters. Um uh, so I think that will sort of bring the you know bring more people to it. And then as the price drops, um, then more people will, will use it on a on a regular basis. And you might it might be something that you only use occasionally. It maybe will my my app gives me the option of I can save twenty minutes if I go over air on this leg, but it 's going to cost me an extra thirty dollars, and you make the call as to whether whether you want to do it or not um, so uh, so yeah i, I think there's um, uh, uh, yeah, there be there'll, be there'll be different ways of um, of using using the the air transport and uh, and incorporating it with other other forms of transport um for
0: those that are Slowly getting hooked in this, and with me are becoming um, becoming interested, it has, has happened now because I wasn't aware that it was even happening before. So those listeners who are now aware of this and to follow Skyports and AMSL and Uber Air, who else should we be looking out for in? To see for the innovation and the growth in this this exciting okay, one, if,
1: if you're interested, you'll you'll soon go down the rabbit hole and and start, sign up to the various newsletters and things, and you will get updates on what everybody's doing. And you get links to you know new flight uh, test flights that have been done. So look, there's there's lots of, um, uh, of of those sort of websites and newsletters out there which are, are good to subscribe to. Um. In New Zealand, uh, you're actually quite advanced with um, the Cora, uh, the, uh, the which is a um, Google-backed um, aircraft, which is uh, currently doing testing in um, uh, in New Zealand, and so the New Zealand authorities are quite um, are quite advanced there. Um, but uh, but I think you know, the, the Joby is probably the the aircraft most likely to be um, approved sooner rather than later, which is like a big electric helicopter um but then you've got the smaller ones which are, are also flying such as the Volocopter and the Lilium which are both German and they're both very different designs one's one's got sort of fans and the other's got you know big blades um um and uh the Hang, which is a Chinese version has been flying people around for some years now um uh, so so there's there's lots lots of different um models out there and um there's lots of information on, on online to to, to to keep up to speed on it.
0: Great. Oh, I'm going to be definitely diving down that rabbit hole. I think.
1: Right, but I certainly thought, when I first looked at this, I thought this is this is rubbish. You know, they're, 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 this is only like you know about two years ago, I suppose. And um, Uber said they were coming to Melbourne to check out Melbourne as a test city, and um, they'd chosen um, Dallas and LA, and they wanted a third test city outside of. Um, the United States, so they were looking at Melbourne, Sydney. Um, um, where else were looking? Tokyo, uh, Sao Paulo, uh, Paris, um, Mumbai, and uh, so they came to Melbourne. And um, one of my clients is a uh, microflight helicopters, and uh, they've got the only helipad in the centre of the city. And um, and we were talking to government about uh, some issues around that and uh, we weren't, we weren't getting very far, And uh, but we heard the government was rolling out the red carpet for Uber and uh, uh, meeting with ministers back to back. And so Skypots really grew out of that that we, we sort of decided, well, if Uber's going to come here, they're going to need to use this helipad and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll join, join forces. And so we became part of the bid to... Um, encourage Uber to choose Melbourne, and um, and that was when they announced it in Washington last year at the Uber Elevate Summit and um, they announced Melbourne to be the, the third test city. Um, so uh, I think we are going to be in Melbourne, one of the first cities in the world to have it, but it has to be backed up with the political um, support as well, and that's one of the reasons I think Uber chose Melbourne, because they sensed there was political support, and while there's a lot that needs to be done, I am aware that there's... Um, uh, from a political perspective, there there is uh, work being done to prepare Victoria for uh, to be a world leader leader in this, and I think that's going to be the, uh, the uh, what's critical for uh, companies to make decisions to to locate and to test cities is is having that political support because if you haven't got the political support, you know you, it's it's just too hard. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh,
0: with your background in politics, you you understand that world. More than most, I imagine.
1: Yeah, look, I, what what I do, what I've done previously as a local and a state politician, and what I do now as a, uh, a consultant trying to help people get ideas up, is I sort of know what pushes politicians' buttons. Um, you know, everybody's looking for, you know, something that makes them uh, look like they're being progressive and creating jobs, and uh, and uh, um, and you know, something like this is very. Attractive for as a as a media story, call, I call I it the urban magic dust. You know, and they, everyone sprinkles sprinkles it over themselves and uh, and and you know, gets the the reflected uh, uh, you know glory of being associated with it. Um, but uh, the reality of it is, though, that, that um, while it's easy to get media on um, on air taxis because everybody's excited about it, and um, uh, the reality is, it's a pretty hard slog to to get to the point of getting them uh, operational. and What I'm doing is just a very small part of it. Look, I'm, I'm no no uh, science or aviation boffin. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm purely looking at it from a property perspective and uh, working on the basis of someone else is going to work out how these things are going to fly and, and how they're going to fly safely, um, but uh, realising that unless they've got somewhere to, fl- to land, then uh, they're, they're virtually useless. Um, so I see it a bit like... Um, um, you know, if you own a skyport or a network of skyports, you basically own the own the air because if you haven't got places to land, you know, while you might be able to fly up there, you can't land, so there is no use. So, it's um, I expect that the, the the money that's going into developing aircraft will at some point flip into uh, developing the infrastructure uh, because uh, you know for a relatively small amount of money you can own the gateways to the skies without having to build. Uh, roads or rail that you would would on land. Um, so I think it's uh, you know, there will be you know, opportunities there. I'm, I'm probably a bit far ahead of the curve, but look, it's it's good fun and uh, you know, and I, I think there could be a could be a, a payoff uh, some way down the track. But it's still going to be some years of years of uh, plugging away at it, though. Um, you were talking about some of these companies
0: to focus on, and what 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 piqued my interest is there's a couple of German auto, autonomous. Air flight companies out there. Um, are we gonna you know, looking further down the future and as the skies open up? Do you think that there's a reality of us, you know, people having their own personal vehicles and uh, maybe choosing a German, uh, you know, a nice European mark to stand out above the others? And you'll start seeing brands develop and with. Some yeah,
1: well, certainly, brands like Porsche and Rolls Royce are, are working on on prototypes as well. Um, and there are some which are being designed just as sport models. Um, there's actually an Australian company that is developing a um, a Formula One of, of the air. So it's called uh, Speeder, I think it's called the a louder Speeder, um, and they're testing in the desert in Australia at the moment. So there's going to be a whole sort of... Uh, Series of these uh, you know, very exciting, very fast air races um, that uh, you know, happen in giant drones. Um, so, so yeah, look, I think that there there will be um, that that'll be a subset. I think where um, where people will be able to have their own aircraft. Um, there are some some pretty sort of daggy looking things which are both cars and car and plane and probably do a poor job at. Being both, although even though they might be able to drive on the road and, and drop and fly in the air, one's called the uh, Terra Fuego, um, and um, uh, you know they've got these either gyros or wings that sort of fold out from this vehicle. Um, so look, that's that, that's a possibility, but I, but I think probably from private ownership, um, it's probably more likely going to be in the sort of same sort of market. as someone buying a speedboat or something You go out for for a day in your in your in your aircraft rather than your boat uh, and you and you're, uh, you know whether whether or not you can land it on your property I think I think landing in um, you know, inner city properties is, is going to be difficult I think you're more likely to be using airports cool it's it's, it's fascinating
0: it really is um from your other parts of your your world um, tourism is is important to you and it must be you've you've Obviously, we're all going through massive changes this year and, and the whole industry in every country is has taken hits and, and, and had to make um, alternative business moves. Um, how, how is it going for you over there and what, you, what have you been learning from this unprecedented year?
1: Yeah, look, I'm actually a tourism operator as well. I didn't mention that before, but I, I run a couple of um, tourism accommodation businesses on islands down in Tasmania. And... Um, uh, while it was catastrophic when we had to close for a few months, now we're opened up again just to the Tasmanian market. The, um, there's been a lot of demand. We've never been busier, um, and I think that there's going to be a lot of a lot of interest in um, tourism in remote areas and areas where you're not in a hotel with you know 50 people or 50 other rooms or 500 other rooms. I think there'll be uh, a lot of demand for those remote experiences. Uh, and you know, in the outdoors rather than being you know cooped up inside. So I think I think the, the central city, the CBD tourism, you know, going to Sydney and staying in a hotel for the weekend might not be that attractive. But going to you know the Blue Mountains for a weekend might be uh, you know more attractive. So um, so like I, I'm quite optimistic about um, the sort of tourism I'm in, which is uh, the remote tourism. I think will will. Do well and look. You know, we've just had only only the Tasmanian market open up, and they've embraced it um, vigorously, despite it just being in their own back garden. And I think when the mainland tourism opens up, particularly because they can't travel overseas anymore, all those people who would normally spend you know ten or twenty or thirty thousand dollars going overseas, you know, once or twice a year, um, they can't do that, so they'll be looking for special experiences um, uh, locally. And then when, once once Global tourism operates again. I think Australia will will uh, potentially be seen as a as a good location to be you know, having those wide open spaces and not being crammed into you know uh, you know uh, sweaty tapas bars in uh, in in Spain or something where you, you might be more more likely to be uh, catching something. Um, so so I think tourism's you know uh, uh, you know is going to be okay. It's just pretty tough at the moment. Um, uh, particularly for those for those operators that are the the bulk, you know, they, they rely on mass tourism. Uh, so the hotels that need to sell five hundred rooms a day, um, yeah, they're really suffering. Uh, but I think the boutique, smaller operators uh, will, will be okay. Yeah, we're We've very lucky here in New Zealand. We've
0: uh, yesterday was our hundredth day without community transmission, and um, much like much like Tasmania, we've had this domestic boom. In um, tourism, once once the, the 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 disruptions were kind of gone, it's how uh, must be really tough for Victorians at the moment.
1: Um, oh, yeah, it, it certainly is. Look, you know, I, I don't have any tourism interest in Victoria, but um, but yeah, look, you know, the whole the whole state is basically in in, in lockdown um, and uh, really hard lockdown to the extent of having a curfew in Melbourne. So eight o'clock, you know, we've got. Uh, Yeah, police and military patrolling the streets, and uh, you know you'd be fined if you're caught outside your house. You know, so it's it's uh, it's pretty extraordinary times. Um, uh, But you know, I think you know there's been some stuff ups along the way, and uh, and we need to get it under control. You know, know, we can't have 700 new cases every day, and uh, you know, 10 or 20 deaths, uh, it will just uh, exponentially increase. So I think you know there was no option. uh, If you accept that mistakes were made. there's, there's no option but to, to, to crack down heavily on it. And, um, uh, you know, the, the sad thing about it is that w- without the second outbreak in Victoria, Australia was looking at being one of the, the best countries in the world, which would have, which would have been something a trade off in the future in terms of tourism. And, um, uh, you know, places like New Zealand and Tasmania, uh, you know, if you're an American tourist... And you're allowed to go to those places. You'd be you'd be thinking, well, this is a this is a pretty good option for for uh, for travel for the moment. Um, so uh, so yeah, look, hopefully that that will you know will all come up, come together and uh, and be uh, under control. And uh, but, you know, we've got a massive advantage being an island. And um, you know, I'd, I'd like to see in Australia that the uh, we we operate as a country rather than a a, a, a collection of states because the the state borders well. Yeah, they can be useful in terms of you know, with Victoria at the moment, you know, trying to prevent that spread elsewhere. I think we're going to see hotspots emerge all over the country, and to um, to have borders closed is is, a, is you know, from an economic point of view is a massive cost. So I, I'd rather see the federal government just say, "Well, Australia is Australia, and you know we're all going to work together on this. And if we have a hotspot, we'll shut that area down, but we're not going to stop business between other state other states." But I'm not married, so <laughs> so it's just my personal view. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I, from
0: I see very much parallels with companies who are going through crises. They have to they have to break down those silo walls um, to 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 get through those crises. We have a. Uh, there's there's a lot of siloing in DHBs. Going off at a bit of a tangent here, but um, Christchurch, where we are, as of well, what, Christchurch in New Zealand has had an absolute um, hectic time of um, awful crises, and they've uh, their DHB was known to be um, very siloed, and lo and behold, they are now the least siloed. DHB in the country, everybody has had to come together on so many occasions, and those silo of walls, of de- siloing of decisions, siloing of information, siloing of policies, they all had to come down so that people could unite in one way. So, yeah, couldn't agree with you more on the... I was very surprised to hear that. For people outside of Australia, I don't think many of us would understand that the the, the states are managed so separately. Yes, yeah, look, it... it, it, it
1: uh, as an historic uh, quirk, where originally before we had a federation, they were they were really we were really very separate to the extent where we had the ridiculous situation. If you're traveling by train between Melbourne and Sydney, you have to you have to change trains at the border because they had different sized tracks, so you had to <laughs> train. trains. So, um, <laughs> thankfully, all that sort of stuff has uh, has become uh, you know we've become one uh, over the last you know 120 years or whatever it is. Um, but uh, but still, look, the state government does control um, you know, a lot of things within, within their jurisdiction, and um, certainly in terms of health uh, um, and the response to this uh, COVID nineteen outbreaks is is a state responsibility. So. Um, uh, so yeah, look, and it, it has created issues, but I think it also has meant that uh, there's been a, a, a cabinet which has been put together with each of the premiers and the prime minister that has has worked very well and worked better than the the, the old processes of them all getting together to to uh, you know lobby for their share of the uh, of taxes.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh, one of one of the positives is how this has brought so many people together. Facing a common enemy in some way, some way to bring it up. in New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern refers, started referring to the country very early on as the team of five million. And that uniting language, I think, is is being really welcomed by both sides, by supporters on both sides of the political divide. And I guess we'll, we're about to have a, an election here in September, so we will see how united the country votes
1: then, I think. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I think I mean Jacinda seems, seems like a bit of a rock star politician before this even started, um, um, and uh, it would be interesting to see as we come up to elections how 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 it plays out. Certainly, the the the, the polls are showing that um, the, the leaders tend to have a, a bounce in terms of uh, you know, popularity when the, when you get a crisis like this. Um, although I think in the in the case of Victoria, I think um, uh, you know there's there's been you know, some issues that have, uh, people are pointing out as, as being the cause of our second wave, which uh, uh, the government and the Premier may end up paying for, but we'll, we'll see, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I um,
0: absolutely love talking to you today. Um, it's been absolutely fascinating. I think we will have started more people's journey down the rabbit hole towards um, embracing urban aerial mobility um and air taxis um and i just wanted to say thank you very much for for coming on the show um before you we let you go is there if people wanted to get in contact with you or to follow what you're doing what would be the best way for them to do what would you what'd be the ideal outcome for a listener to this show to do after
1: today's yeah look i tend to post a lot on linkedin um updates and where we're at so that's probably I've got a website, a Skyport's website, and um um uh, but LinkedIn is probably where where I'll I'll put the, the interesting stuff that goes up. So uh, uh Clem Newton Brown just find me on LinkedIn. I uh, I've got a fairly low bar to uh people I follow. So uh <laughs> everybody everybody gets the tick. Um and um and yeah, look I'm happy to happy to interact on that
0: on that forum. Okay, well, thank you again once again. And um, yeah, I will look forward to talking to you and watching what's happening in this space further in the future.
1: Great to chat to you, Brent. Okay, bye bye.
0: Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to our show today. As a further thank you, we would like to offer you 30% off all of the courses on HTO Educate, our learning platform. All you need to do is go to the cart and put in the discount code HTOPODCAST30 and you will get 30% off your final cart. Thanks very much again and we look forward to speaking to you on the next podcast.